Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll learn about the new Winnipeg Scholars Awards given to exceptional Manitoba students. Jennifer Arhus will join us in studio to tell us all about it, and we'll hear from the awards recipients themselves. We'll also speak with Tim Shouten, a Winnipeg-based painter, curator, writer, and educator who has been a who has a very interesting new project, the St. Peter's Reserve Project, where he's exploring Manitoba's treaties through his art. Then we'll hear part two of our interview with Kevin Lamaru, the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg, and we'll learn more about truth and reconciliation. We've also got a brand new Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge question, as well as the answer to last week's question. Uh, Trivia Master Fred Morris will join us in studio to challenge your Manitoba hockey knowledge. And as always, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to discuss the latest in citizen journalism through the lens of Community News Commons, the Winnipeg Foundation's citizen journalism project. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Robert and Nolan with you this morning. Nolan, how has your week been? It was a short week. I was actually in Calgary for my birthday earlier this week. Uh, I spent, yes. spent my birthday in Calgary visiting some friends and family, celebrating the ripe old age of 31. It's time for me to really bunker down and become an adult, I think. What do you think? I think I think so. I think you're there. I <laughs> oh, think you're thank there. you So, uh, a very happy. I wish you a happy birthday closer to the time of, but a very happy belated birthday to you. Cheers, brother. Once again, appreciate it. And uh, as for me, it was a it was a very busy week, a short week, but a busy one. Um, lots going on this weekend. Actually, uh, yesterday I had the chance to go to the Winnipeg Public Library's Build Day, and oh, that's for the all- Little For You Libraries. Is that's that right. Okay, yeah. cool. So. Um, people have the opportunity to essentially build their very own little free library that they can then put up in their neighborhood and stock it with books and cool. see what happens, essentially. Cool idea. So, so we'll have a report on that in one of our coming episodes, but it's also taking place this afternoon as well. So a uh, special hello out there to all of the uh, Little Free Library stewards that are listening. We've featured Little Free Libraries on the show before. Uh, it's a really, really neat initiative, and uh, definitely I would recommend checking out and seeing if there is a Little Free Library in your neck of the woods. Definitely. Well, before we get to the rest of the show, let's start things things off as we often do here on RC360 with a song. At last, it's time for Etta James with her song At Last here on River City 360. At last, my love has come along.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. Tim Shouten is a Winnipeg-based painter, curator, writer, and educator who has a very interesting new project called the St. Peter's Reserve Project. He's exhibited widely in Canada and the United States, and his paintings reside in private and public collections, including the collections of the Winnipeg Art Gallery, Manitoba Hydro, the North Dakota Museum of Art, and the Winnipeg Foundation. In 2003, he began developing a research-based venture titled the Treaty Suites Project, which reflects on the history and life of the numbered treaties in central Canada. Out of this undertaking came the St. Peter's Reserve Project. In 1871, the St. Peter's Reserve, north of Selkirk, was established under the terms of Treaty No. 1. In 1907, a prosperous Anishinaabe community was uprooted, when the reserve was surrendered and the people moved to the new Peguis Reserve, 200 kilometers to the north. In 2008, the Supreme Court of Canada declared the 1907 surrender illegal and awarded the First Nation a settlement of $126 million. In 2009, Peguis First Nation voted to accept the terms of the settlement. At the time, Tim's art studio was on a rural property three miles north of the nearby town of Petersfield, and he reflected on whether his land might have once been part of the old St. Peter's Reserve. This led to him investigating and researching the surrender and settlement, and he eventually started the St. Peter's Reserve Project, which was created as the people of Peguis First Nation considered whether to accept the offer from the Canadian government. Our very own Stacy Cardigan-Smith sat down with Tim last week to discuss the project and why he decided to focus on these treaties and settlements through his artwork. Stacy. So how did you first become interested in this? Well, you know, I, I had been traveling in uh, Eastern Europe before my wife, and, my wife and I moved back to Manitoba from Toronto. We'd been living in Toronto for a number of years. And during that travel in Eastern Europe, I had I decided that I was interested in in shifting my my the, the subject of my painting to the landscape, and 
reflecting on the histories of the places that I painted. So we moved, when we got back to, to, to Canada, we moved out to Manitoba, and I started getting to know this, the territory around here, and became very aware of the Aboriginal presence in Winnipeg, and uh, traveled around the, the, the province quite a bit, and became more and more aware of all of the, the isolated uh, indigenous communities, the reserve communities up around northern Manitoba. And it was a number of things um, sort of evolved to, to develop my, my interest. I, I also became disturbingly aware of a level of racism in Winnipeg towards indigenous people that kind of surprised me and shocked me. And so I decided that uh, um, I wanted to look into the history of the treaties in Central Canada and reflect on that history in my in my work. So this yeah. is before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, far before all yeah. Of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you started kind of looking at these treaties and, and I mean reflecting on them and you developed these works, like how did that how did that come about? You know, I traveled around Manitoba, taking photographs, meeting people, talking to people, and thinking about the different treaty territories within the province. Um, I started reading the treaties and sort of thinking about uh, the implications of the, of the written treaties and what they meant. And so the initial, the initial series of works I did was called, was, I did under the title of Treaty Lands just with the sort of overall general kind of idea that all of this territory is regulated under treaty and what that meant. Not, and not just the reserve communities. The city of Winnipeg, um, the entire territory is regulated under treaty. And no, I started, I start, and, and I started realizing that my ancestors, you know, my ancestors were Scottish and Belgium and Dutch, and my ancestors signed those treaties with the indigenous peoples here. And I think I very early started developing this idea that we're all treaty people. Talk to me a little bit about about your your artwork. Um, can you describe some of your techniques? And I mean, some of the, sh the pieces that we can see here today, they aren't reflective of the land, which I know you said was your uh, But they are. But they are. So tell so me So this is, this is an interesting project here. I was, I was actually um, uh, researching Treaty 4, the Treaty 4 signing in Fort Capel in Saskatchewan, and I came across some documents that were uh, a, pay, a treaty pay list for the St. Peter's Reserve. I had just moved to Petersfield, north of the city. I'd never even heard of the St. Peter's Reserve. But I looked into it and I discovered that uh, the old St. Peter's Reserve was very close to where my farm property was. And um, I started researching the old reserve, finding out about it. I, I met some people, some people whose families were from the old reserve and traveled around the reserve. I, um, traveled up to Pegwis with, uh, with my friend Willie Cochran and uh, he introduced me to people. And um, but at the time, uh, so I'd been working on this project for a while. I'd worked my way through the first three treaties. I was working on Treaty 4. And uh, 
I'd started to, the work was primarily landscape based, but I had started to, but, but also very research based. I do a lot of research in, in archives, online research, and I was feeling an impulse to try to bring some of that research into, my, into, my, into the actual paintings. And as I was researching this, the, the St. Peter's Reserve, um, I just happened to be looking at um, some work by the American artist Ed Rusha, who used a lot of text in his painting, and still does, and somehow I, I found his work so beautiful, and I thought, for the, this sort of the St. Peter's Reserve project sort of evolved unexpectedly out of the larger project, and I thought, maybe for this work, I could just paint the words from the research, paint the words that relate to the landscape. Um, and I was using this, I, the work, is, I've been using this medium called encaustic, which is a hot wax uh, painting medium, whereby I, I uh, use a blend of waxes uh, with resin and pigment, and I paint directly with the m melted wax. Um, and I hit upon the idea that I would just take words and phrases from my research, use a stencil, stencil to transfer the, the images of the words to the canvas, and uh, then I, I carve out the words on the canvas and pour in hot wax, scrape away to get the varied effect that I, that I really like. So they're word paintings, but, I, I, but they're about the landscape, they're about this place. So in my mind, in my I just think of them as I think of them as landscape paintings. Hmm. Fascinating. That's really interesting. So, what do you hope people get? What take away from your paintings? The first thing I hope people come to is the beauty of the paintings, the beauty of the images themselves, um, the beauty of the canvases. But I hope people quickly move into the ideas behind the work. I want people to think about the treaty process or treaty relationship, which is something that more and more, so many more and more people are thinking about and talking about. And I just want to be, I want to be, the work to be part of a, con, a conversation towards, towards reconciliation or conciliation as some people are saying. So what's, what's next for you? I'm actually working on a new suite for Treaty 5. Uh, the working title of this series is Speaking in Tongues, the Treaty 5 Suite. And with this new project, which I uh, began working on in earnest uh, late 2015, uh, uh, shortly after the, the, the final report from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, I, I in reading the, the report, I took, um, I took the, the calls to action very much to heart, and in particular the calls to a, uh, action around the value of indigenous language to the culture of Canada, and, the, and in fact the urgency that those languages be, be renewed and saved. Um, so, and because in my mind, uh, issues of language are, are so key to understandings of the treaty relationship and the meanings of treaty. I think that uh, the 
indigenous understanding of treaty is quite uh, different than the, the written treaties itself. And I think a lot of that, that difference in understanding comes out of uh, language and worldview. So wh what I'm doing with this new suite is I'm traveling to the 16 places around Manitoba where Treaty 5 and the, and the Treaty 5 adhesion were signed. The treaty was initially signed in 1875 with additional signings uh, right through to 1910. So a long period of time all across all of northern Manitoba. Uh, but at the same time, I'm focusing somewhat on uh, the interpreters who were hired by Canada to interpret the treaty during the negotiations. That's just one focus of this work. And thinking a lot about language, the effects of residential schools on sort of throughout the, the treaty territory. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking with us. My pleasure. Thank you for your interest. Thanks, Stacey, and thanks again to Tim Shouten for speaking with River City 360. As we mentioned at the uh, top of the segment, you can see some of Tim's artwork in the collections at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, Manitoba Hydro, the North Dakota Museum of Art, and at the Winnipeg Foundation. Coming up after the break, Jennifer Arhus, Student Award Specialist at the Winnipeg Foundation, will join us in studio to talk about a brand new Winnipeg Scholars Award, which is given to some of the best and brightest young students in Manitoba today. But first, here's Hugo Strasser with Goody Goody, right here on River City 360. Goody Goody!
you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by a very special guest. We've got Jennifer Arhus. She is the Student Awards Specialist at the Winnipeg Foundation. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So River City 360 attended a uh, an event earlier this week. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? I understand uh, you gave away some awards to seven very deserving young individuals. Tell, tell me about it. Yeah, so um, we held a reception in our office called the Scholars Awards Reception. And we had uh, seven recipients of the 10 that actually received the award this year, um, attending with their families and friends that uh, they were able to share this evening with us. And um, we started this program this year. Actually, it's our first year giving this award out. And it's called the Scholars Award Fund. And it's... um, identified uh, through the Loran Scholarship, and um, it's given to 10 recipients, and they each receive $3,000 over a period of three years, so $1,000 cool. each year for post-secondary education. Very cool. Always good to uh, help lessen the burden of post-secondary education. You mentioned the Loran Scholarship, so tell our listeners a little bit about that. I understand it's a pretty substantial scholarship, a national scholarship. Yeah, so... Um, from what I know about the Loran, the Loran Scholarship was founded in 1988, and um, they're a national charity that works with uh, Canadian universities and donors and volunteers throughout Canada, and they um, want to invest in young Canadians who demonstrate various criteria, such as um, character, commitment to service, and uh, leadership potential. So... We had uh, asked the Loran to identify recipients that... Um, may not have received that national level award. Um, they choose 30 recipients a year to receive that national level. Mm-hmm. And we wanted uh, the Loran to choose 10 of Manitoba, particularly the top 10 ma- in Manitoba, um, that may not that were part of that selection process, but may not have made it to qualify right. for the, the 30 uh, awards for the national level. Because it's only 30 across all of Canada. So That's there's right. hundreds of different people. And these are the top 10 in Manitoba. That's right. So uh, what what is the experience like for you when you get to um, call these kids up and tell them that they won this award that they didn't even know? It? I mean, this is the first time it's ever happened, the first annual. So what was what was some of the response from the kids? I mean, we got... Uh, a little bit of audio. We spoke to all seven of them, so we're going to play that a little later in the show. But what did you hear and experience when you told these kids that they won these uh, inaugural awards? They all were very grateful. Um, they were surprised that um, we, the Winnipeg Foundation, had this to offer for them. And uh, like $3,000 is a huge, it's a significant piece um, of monetary support that will help them get through their post-secondary education. And um, I heard from the families and the friends that came along that they were all really, really thankful and um, very appreciative of us of opening our doors here at the foundation and for them to get to know the faces behind that email or that right. phone call. Um, so it was just really nice to see their gratitude for, um, sure. for uh, that award. So you're a student awards specialist. Obviously, you're, gonna, you're working a lot with kids that are just going to school or, or are already starting to do take post-secondary how does it make you feel personally when you're going along on these on this journey with these kids going to post-secondary because it's a pretty scary time for kids um it's pretty inspiring um i myself have been through that um educational experience through (laughs) post-secondary so i know all about the ups and downs that can come up uh throughout that time and it's really nice to see the potential and the just the gratitude that these recipients show that that financial burden is 
lifted off of their shoulders and they can really focus on their studies and reach those goals that they have had for all those years. Right. It, it's, it filled me, like, like I said, we, we spoke to all seven of the recipients. They're all very bright, young individuals. It filled me with a sense of, uh, of uh, hope for the future, you know, that, that our future is probably in good hands. Did you feel kind of the same way talking I to them? I sure did. The, the recipients obviously excelled in that, the criteria that Loran um, chose their recipients from. Right. And they, I feel very proud as a Winnipeg Foundation uh, employee to be able to help those students get mm-hmm. through post-secondary. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing. Very, very true. So part of your job, I imagine, is dealing with people who start um, scholarship funds at the Winnipeg Foundation. What, what's that process like and how does that make you feel when you, when you get to uh, sort of help someone leave a legacy by investing in the future with a scholarship fund? Yes, again, that is a really rewarding experience to sit down with somebody who has that interest and has that um, motivation and that goal to help um, a recipient get through uh, post-secondary and, and change that the life of a young person. It's really nice to um, hear what they have to say and take them through that journey of realizing what they their potential is with their gift and leaving that legacy uh, for forever. It's just really great to help them realize their, their goals and their dreams. And um, maybe there is some sort of connection where they have a connection back to the school, like maybe they attended mm-hmm. the school or maybe they're doing it in memory of a loved one or they attended or they're a graduating class of 1967 and they want to start a fund to celebrate that year. So it's just those little things that. It seems to run the gamut of different reasons for people wanting to support the future. And, and really any reason is justified and, and investing in education and in the future is always a good idea. So how can people uh, find out a little bit more information if this sounds like something they'd want to do? There uh, is a page on our website under scholarships and bursaries. And so I am available to speak to anybody that is interested in setting something up or just want to learn more about how scholarship funds work through the Winnipeg Foundation. And uh, yeah, I'm more than happy to uh, talk to you. Fantastic. So the website is www.wpgfdn.org or you can call 204-944-9474 and uh, just, I guess, ask for Jennifer Arhus. Jen, thanks for talking to us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Nolan. River City 360 actually spoke with some of the recipients of the inaugural Winnipeg Scholars Awards, and we've got that coming up right after this fantastic song. So here is Young Holt Unlimited with Soulful Strut, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. So Nolan, last segment we spoke with Jennifer Arhus, the Student Award Specialist at the Winnipeg Foundation. and She told us all about the Winnipeg Scholars Award, which was given out to 10 exceptional students right here in Winnipeg who were shortlisted for the Loren Scholarship. That's right, and we actually spoke to a few of them at the awards reception earlier this week, and um, to be quite honest, it was, it was awesome to hear about their hopes and their aspirations and what their plans are for the future. It really gave me uh, personally a sense of kind of hope for the future because these kids are the cream of the crop when it comes to students here in Manitoba. And you could really tell that our province is going to be in good hands with these kids at the helm. One of the award winners we spoke with was Bethel Tekliohannes of Kildonan East Collegiate here in Winnipeg. Uh, she has many years of school ahead of her, and the scholarship is going to go a long way in alleviating some of the financial stresses of post-secondary education. I don't have a lot of money, but I think I thought it would be a good opportunity to apply for scholarships while I'm in high school to help fund my education because I feel I'm probably going to be in school for a while, so I think this would benefit me in the long run, not having so many tuition fees building up. Bethel has a fantastic attitude and, and is really approaching her education with hard work and with humility. Um, I think going to school with the scholarship makes you more, how do I say, it's um, grateful, I guess, in a sense, and kind of pushes you to work harder because you realize that you're, not everyone got this opportunity to have a scholarship. No one, like, not everyone gets the opportunity to have their education funded. So I think it makes you more grateful and makes you work more harder. We also spoke with Shana Giesbrecht of Dakota Collegiate, and she echoed what Bethel mentioned about how this award is going to help her with the financial burden of school. You can focus more on, like, your school and for me my sports as well. I don't have to spend a whole bunch of time working. I can spend it focusing on my GPA and studying and making sure that I get the most out of university and that I'm not spending so much time being concerned about money. So the young and the young men and women that uh, that won this, the ten young and women that won this award are just starting their educations, but already they had such fantastic attitudes and outlooks. Um, Nathan Wilson of St. Paul's High School was another recipient of the award. Uh, I really respected his perspective on the whole process. He he kind of explained what it was like to apply for the scholarship, and how it made him feel to go through the whole process. Uh, it's a pretty extensive application. There were four essays, uh, two on leadership and two on. Uh, just various challenges or traits, I guess, that you you have. Overall, I just had to write a few essays um, that were challenging, not only because of uh, like the depth of knowledge that's required to, to show and communicate what you know, but also because you're constrained to um, a pretty small block. And it's kind of difficult to express... Uh, yeah, just express who you are in some in four small essays. Nathan added another valuable insight about scholarships in general and the importance of investing in our future. So just seeing that there are like people out there that take note of uh, the things students in the province are doing, uh, it was it was kind of special. And the, the whole concept of a pilot project, they're expanding into a new area, and uh, I think that's great that they're uh, broadening their reach because I've heard of the Winnipeg Foundation before, and I know they do great work in the community on um, a community service level basis um, uh, but that seems like addressing like the needs of the present and then this is now expanding to the f towards developing for the future uh, so I think it's really great of them that they're uh, investing in not only Winnipeg now but Winnipeg uh, 20 years from now. As I mentioned earlier, there were 10, min 10 winners from all across Manitoba. We had of course Bethel Tekliohannes, Nathan Wilson and Shana Gaysbrick who we just heard from as well as Rashmini Shunmugam 
from Neyland High School in Brandon, Victor Pop from Erickson Collegiate in Erickson, Hillary Ransom from Stonewall Collegiate in Stonewall, Aidan Heeman from Elkhorn School in, Var- in Verdon, Manitoba, Hiba El Gubtan from Collège Churchill High in Winnipeg, Evelyn Matthews from Sanford Collegiate in Starbuck, and Sarah Holtman from Warren Collegiate in Rosser. Congratulations to all of the winners. Good luck in everything you do in the future. And uh, again, thank you for speaking with RC360. Coming up after the break, the next installment in our interview series with Kevin Lamaru. He's the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg, and we will continue our conversation about truth and reconciliation. But first, here's Dick Haynes with It's a Grand Night for Singing, right here on River City 360. It's a grand night for singing, the moon is flying high. And somewhere a bird who is bound he'll be heard is throwing his heart at the sky. It's a grand night for singing. The stars are bright above. The earth is aglow, and to add to the show, I think I am falling in love. more than the birds Maybe it's more than the sight of the night and a light too lovely for words Maybe it's more than the earth shiny and silvery blue Maybe the reason I'm feeling this way has something to do with you It's a grand night for singing, the stars are bright above, the earth is aglow, and to add to the show, I think I am falling in love, falling. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. And as we mentioned on last week's program, uh, we had Kevin Lamaru, the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg, on the program. He spoke with Stacy Cardigan-Smith about truth and reconciliation. So last week we talked about the importance of truth and reconciliation, why it matters to all Canadians. This week, Kevin talks about three specific areas in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 calls to action that he thinks are important that people address and highlight. So without further ado, here is part two of our conversation with Kevin Lamoureux. Have you or could you prioritize the top three calls to action and what would they be and why? You know, I was really wrestling with this one because what, I mean, 
how do I prioritize? You know, is it is it more important that we finally uncover and properly identify unmarked graves of children? Is it more important to look at, you know, Jordan's principle, which would guarantee that if uh, a child that needs medical services can go home, that we send them home and not keep them in a hospital waiting to have the same rights as other Canadians? Is it more important to have curriculum developed? Like, I wouldn't know how to do that. So instead of pointing at, you know, particular calls to action, what I'll offer you are sort of themes that are evident in all of the calls to action that I think would be most important. The first one is education. And I really do believe that education is how we begin to heal. Education is the vehicle by which we start to move towards genuine healing as a nation and as people. When the interim report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out, they were calling for more education for kids, for school children to be aware of residential schools and the impacts. And some of the comments that got thrown around at that time were about, you know, why? So the kids could feel guilty? Are we, you know, do we have to keep living in the past, et cetera, et cetera? And it's not about those things. It's not about the guilt and shame commission. It's not about, you know, living in the past. It's about truth and reconciliation. Those very comments point to the need for education and awareness, mm-hmm. right? No mm-hmm. Canadian would ever look at someone who's been the victim of abuse, physical assault or sexual abuse, and suggest to them that they just need to get over that. And yet that sort of language has become all too common in reference to First Nations people. I think that if Canadians knew better and were exposed to some truths, that sort of language would be recognized as being as reprehensible as it truly is, right? Yeah. And I don't think it's about, you know, people really wanting to be nasty about this. I think it's about the fact that we have been denied awareness of these stories. Yeah. And so the first thing that I would point to as being most important are those calls to action that talk about education. The second thing that I would point to is, you know, really around the idea of equity or social justice, if you will. You know, a lot of people have talked about the fact that, you know, the calls to action really don't speak directly to the Indian Act or the oppressive experience that that has imposed upon First Nations people. And again, on all Canadians, um, by virtue of the fact that we live together. But I think that if you scratch beneath the surface, a lot of those calls to action really respond to some of the fundamental inequities created by the Indian Act. Right, so even Jordan's principle, which I mentioned, which is you know has to do with the story of young Jordan Anderson from Norway House First Nation here in Manitoba, who you know after experiencing severe medical emergencies at birth, was stabilized and got to the point where he could be sent home, and yet there was this circular debate going around about who would pay for that, and mm-hmm. that debate, that horrific debate went around for five years while this kid lay in a hospital bed, you know wanting to go home and be with his family until he passed away. It's just sickening. Uh, and that's not going back to the 70s or 80s or 90s. That was started in 2000, and the boy passed away in 2005. <laughs> just this inequity of even health care is an artifact of the, the Indian Act. And so I think that the second thing we want to look at is really beginning to explore some of the injustices that we have inherited as a country. <laughs> and I think the third thing that we would look at is protecting kids. And it's about, you know, the sacred duty that we have as human beings to love and care for kids, even if they're not our own. And when you think about this, you get rid of all the politics, you get rid of all of the, the complexities around this, you get rid of all the debates. I can't imagine, I don't want to imagine, having somebody come up and take my daughter out of my hands. It's the most horrific, dehumanizing, damaging thing that I, like, it's, it's just awful to think about. 
I'm really proud of Canadians taking this as the opportunity that it is to re-examine our values and recommit to the sacred duty that we have to love and care for kids. You know, one of the, the calls to action is about removing the allowance under the criminal code for spanking and corporal punishment. You know, in favor of an understanding of childhood that places them as the most vulnerable and the most sacred in our society, our future, uh, the source of our well-being and the source of our hope. And so those are the three themes that I would point out is, is education, equity, and fundamentally caring for kids. Okay. And I guess just as, a, on a, as an aside, at the U of W now, I guess that education component is becoming key for all your students, right? Isn't there a, a course they all need, are all taking now? Yeah, you know, we're uh, we're so proud of this. Um, and this actually came from our students. And, and the story is that we had, um, you know, some students here on campus who were attending a class and the instructor, the professor for that class had brought in an elder to share some traditional knowledges. And uh, these students witnessed their colleagues, their peers, their fellow students making fun and rolling their eyes and, and being very dismissive of this elder being in their classroom. And it was our students who were so disturbed by this, that this could still exist in Canada, you know, in 2014, whatever it was, 2015, um, that they began a mission uh, calling upon us as a university to ensure that all of our future graduates had at least a, well, a baseline understanding and appreciation for Indigenous peoples, their histories, um, uh, uh, cultures, and, and, and contributions to Canada. And so that wish, that desire, that vision for what a university could be and could provide for um, for its students went through all of the bureaucratic channels. And you can imagine how difficult it is when the system that highly prizes academic excellence and rigor and, and, and processes and uh, procedures. Uh, but it happened relatively quickly, like two years. And uh, we, uh, our Senate, passed unanimously the decision that we were going to require that all future students take at least one course on Indigenous people. We call it the Indigenous course requirement. Mm-hmm. Like that's That just, again, it speaks to um, uh, just the, 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 the good nature of Canadians and what we're capable of as a people and, and what education can provide. And, um, you know, that's our contribution, we like to think, to, uh, to truth and reconciliation. That's great. So, I mean, that and obviously um, you were talking about your themes and your, your top themes and stuff. Um, so that would gave us some ideas, too. But like if we as Canadians are going to move forward and ensure the best future for our children, um, what are the next steps? So, again, being aware of the calls to action are foundational. And again, that's, I think that that's going to take Canadians on a journey that maybe they don't expect. But I think that it's going to be trans- transformational, and, and that's really what education should be. I don't think that education is about receiving these parcels of information and now you have it and somebody else doesn't. The education should be transformational. And I think that, you know, what we're seeing, not I think, I, I know this to be a fact because I've had this experience with the mandatory uh, Aboriginal education courses for teachers that date back eight years ago now, that once Canadians are empowered with more knowledge and more understanding, um, they, you know, naturally inspired to to do more, to to create change, to advocate for, to volunteer, to lobby government, to to create pressures, to to add their voice to collectives. And so I I think that that would be the way forward is is to, um, 
uh, for Canadians to to arm themselves with some knowledge, find their own truth, whatever that may be, uh, but then to to begin to think about how they can act on that. And I think one of the biggest things that we're going to see is, you know, um, political pressures. You know, we have the benefit right now of having a prime minister who, to the best of my knowledge, is the first prime minister designate who ever addressed First Nations people in his uh, in his designation speech. Mm. It's a great opportunity for us. Um, and, you know, because of the fact that we are a treaty nation, which is embedded in our, our repatriated constitution, Section 35 identifies us as a, as a treaty country. Because of the treaty rights that are enshrined into Canadian constitution and law, you know, uh, First Nations people, when they have to go to court to fight for their basic rights uh, and, the, you know, the responsibilities of our federal government, um, you know, whenever Section 35 is invoked, when about 90% of court cases... So the the legal leverage is there, but it shouldn't have to go to to court, right? I mean, our federal government spends more money litigating against First Nations people than any other group, any other corporation, any other anything on earth. It's First Nations people. Hmm. That's such a horrific waste of tax dollars. Mm-hmm. If anyone, even the most again staunchest of critics, could look at that objectively and say, "Why are we wasting money fighting something that is embedded into our constitution?" I think all Canadians would be horrified by that. So this, I think that where we need to go next is, is that political voice, right? There's a lot of legal leverage. We need more political leverage, um, which is just to make sure that these issues are um, uh, continue to be front and center. There's a big movement right now from one of our uh, MPs to have uh, Canada fully impl- uh, adopt and implement the UN Declaration of uh, uh, Rights for Indigenous Peoples, UNDRIP, right? Um, sign the petition for that uh, educate yourself on on why that is important but then you know if if that resonates with you sign the petition mm-hmm. uh help other people understand about that put mm-hmm. pressure on your MPs your MLAs in in you know the provincial government make sure that indigenous that that politicians understand that indigenous issues are our issues as yeah. a country and that truth and reconciliation is not going away it is something that we believe in as a nation Thanks, Stacey, and thank you to Kevin Lamaru, the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs at the University of Winnipeg. We will have part three of our interview with Kevin Lamaru next week on the program, so be sure to tune in for that. It's the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge on River City 360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by Fred Morris. He is a lifelong hockey fan, and he is RC360's Hockey Trivia Master for the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the NHL. Fred, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you very much. So last week we had the very first question of the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge. Maybe I'll get you to repeat the question, and then we'll get the answer from you. Yes, on April the 25th, 1964... And it seems strange to be saying, April, who, he scored the winning Stanley Cup goal. So the, in 1964, who scored the winning Stanley Cup goal? So give us the answer. Uh, Andy Bathgate, in the first period, beat fellow Winnipegger Terry Sawchuk in a 4 nothing Toronto victory over Detroit in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Fantastic. So Winnipegger versus Winnipegger, Terry Sawchuk in net. Um, so tell, tell me a little bit about Andy Bathgate. He was born in Winnipeg, I understand? He was born in Winnipeg, and uh, I guess he had his best years with the Rangers. And another thing he was famous for 
on November the 1st, 1959. It was his shot that injured Jacques Plante, and that <gasps> basically led to all goalies eventually wearing a, a, mask. a face mask. I didn't know that that, that's, see, that's a perfect trivia moment because, you know, you always hear about the story about Jacques Plante and you hear his name, but you don't hear who took the, the slap shot that actually injured him. That's an right. incredible little piece of trivia. Fantastic. So Andy Bathgate, the answer of the very first uh, Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge question. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks, Fred. The light on our phone is lit gold lamp red, so let's go now to the RC360 listener line where Brian has an answer for us. The person who shot the winning goal was Andy Bathgate in the 1964 Stanley Cup. And that's the correct answer. Well done, Brian. So in our first week of standings, Brian is on the board with one correct answer. Don't forget, you can participate this week and in the weeks to come and challenge Brian for the top spot in the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge standings. All you have to do is keep listening for the next question and then give us a call once you have the answer. 204-944-9474, extension 360. If you're listening via the podcast, you can still play along. The line is open 24-7. So again, that is 204-944-9474, extension 360. And now back to Nolan and Fred. So, Fred, we got the first question and answers in the book. So give us uh, week two's uh, trivia question here. What have you got for us? On November the 12th, 1931, Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens opened. This Winnipegger was the first goalie to win a game at Maple Leaf Gardens. So on November 12th, 1931, Maple Leaf Gardens opened. And who was the Winnipeg goalie that was the first to win a game in Maple Leaf Gardens? You can call our listener line right now to answer that question. The number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. So thanks again to Fred Morris. He is RC360's Hockey Trivia Master. Uh, He's going to be here next week to give us a brand new question. As I mentioned, you can call 204-944-9474 to answer this week's trivia question. And thanks again, Fred, for joining us this week. All right. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. This has been the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge. Call in now. Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning, and we are now joined by Noah Ehrenberg. He is the convener of the Winnipeg Foundation's Community News Commons. It's a citizen journalism initiative where friends and neighbors from all around the city contribute articles, about stories that matter to them. Noah, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great to be here, thanks. So every week we like to discuss the latest articles that are published at CNC. And one of the most recent articles was written by citizen reporter Donna Marion. We had actually spoken with her on the show a while back regarding her article that she wrote relating to condo fees. And I understand she has a new article on the site that also deals with an issue important to condo owners here in the province. Yeah, Donna, is uh, she likes to write about uh, condominiums and she, uh, she likes to write about uh, issues with regards to multi-unit dwellings. And this one that she writes about uh, this week has to do with secondhand smoke. Uh, in these, uh, in apartment blocks, condominium complexes, that sort of thing. And she makes a point that there is no doubt that smoking and secondhand smoke is bad for your health. But having said that, she also makes the point that there are very few condominium condominium complexes in Winnipeg that are entirely smoke-free. So she tells the story of one particular 
complex uh, called South of the Border. And this condominium complex, uh, they decided to go smoke-free a couple of years ago. It was a long process, but they were able to make it happen. And uh, she speaks to the president of the board of directors of that condominium complex. His name is Garward Robb. And he describes exactly what they had to do in order to try and get their uh, condominium uh, entirely smoke-free. After a couple of years, they were finally able to do it, and it became one of the only places, one of the only condominium complexes in Winnipeg that is entirely smoke-free. So it's a it's an interesting article, and I think Donna really covers it well. And um, if others, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners live in multi-unit dwellings, apartment blocks, condominium complexes, I think they'd be interested to find out how this particular uh, board of directors of that condominium decided to to make this happen of course every week that we have you on we like for you to bring us a song from a local artist yes what do you have this week for us well this week it's a local favorite the uh, band is royal canoe i'm sure uh, that you've heard of them they have been really uh, becoming more and more popular over time. They have just released uh, their new album, their latest album, called Something Got Lost Between Here and the Orbit, which I think is a great name for an album. And uh, they, uh, it has a lot of rave, rave reviews so far. Uh, like I say, this band is, um, is on its way to becoming uh, one of the best bands that have come out of Winnipeg for a long, long time. And this week, I'd like to um, feature a song from that new album. They're the album which they are touring right now throughout the U.S. Hopefully, they'll be coming back to Winnipeg soon. But this is a song from Royal Canoe from their new album, Something Got Lost Between Here and the Orbit. This is the song called Somersault, right here on River City 360 CJNU. Every day I fold my limbs in to bend my body Making a shape for the guests at my party I can't stop, I walk on my hands till my arms give up and let me in Spin me like a top and I'll blur at the edges I'm digging deep, drilling down unattended I'll carve out a moan in the middle of the hole Hollowed out and settle in That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in, and a big thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all those things online at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we always love to hear feedback from our listeners. Please give us a call. We would love to hear from you as well. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show that you just heard this week, suggest a topic for an upcoming program, or if there's a particular song that would make your Sunday morning a little bit brighter, we'd love to spin that for you. And... Don't forget about the Manitoba Hockey Trivia Challenge. Perhaps you'll be at the top of the standings next week if you have the correct answer to this week's question. So give us a call with any of those items. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also contact us through Twitter or Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.